I invite you to turn with me uh, in your Bibles or scroll to it, however you get there, uh, to the little uh, book of Habakkuk. Uh, uh, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. And we're going to be reading uh, just verses 1 through 11 um, in the first chapter. Um, Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me um, see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And the answer, look, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astonished. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on, Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an evil, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. And at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is there. God. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we realize that all Scripture is God-breathed and given to us um, as, as useful for our edification. And so we pray your Spirit would help us today um, to behold you more clearly and to behold your purposes and to grasp this life of ours as we Live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We might very well ask the question, perhaps it's going through your head right now, uh, why Habakkuk? And why now? Why should we study uh, this little book? Habakkuk opens up this book with a sense of desperation. He's looking around his society, the land of Judah, and he has observed murder. He has, dis- he has observed destruction. Life is cheap. There is abuse in families. Uh, there is uh, oppression uh, of the weak uh, in that culture. 
So why do we study this book? Perhaps you're beginning to see why already. But I'd like to just lay out three reasons that will help us understand why we're reading this and how we can get the most out of it. Uh, first of all, this book speaks uh, to God-fearers who are bewildered by a world of violence. Habakkuk himself a God-fearer. Others uh, in this passage, in this, in this area, uh, considered as well the wicked surround the righteous. He wasn't speaking just for himself. But God-fearers bewildered by a culture of violence and destruction. There is strife and contention, he says, among the people of God. The law is paralyzed, and really the Hebrew behind that means it is numb. It is inert. It's not active. It's not doing anything. It is paralyzed, and the courts are the very last place that you would go for help, for justice. Violence for them had become the new normal. And we can imagine that that is the case for ourselves as well. Um, We are deeply disturbed, but not altogether surprised by another mass shooting, for example. God-fearers saw the wicked surround the righteous. God saw uh, the, the, the righteous would see um, the wicked outnumbering the righteous and be bewildered. They're fearing God. They're baffled by what they see. They're perplexed at the ruin that they see around them. That's Habakkuk, and that's our experience as well. Well, it will become increasingly clear as we press our way through this beautiful letter, this beautiful book, it will become increasingly clear that it is of the utmost importance to live according to what you believe and not according to what you see. Live by what you believe and not by what you behold. The theme verse of this whole of this whole uh, uh, prophecy, and we would certainly say for this passage as well, It is chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But, the contrast, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his his faith. Uh, The whole prophecy, these three chapters are, are full of gospel promise. It is, and that is the heart of biblical Christianity. To live by faith. In the midst of a world that looks out of control, we live by faith. In the midst of our own bewildering pain, we live by faith in God's promises and His purposes. As we've sung already today, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His work in vain. God is His own interpreter. He will make it plain. We are uh, to live uh, by faith and not by what we see. The, the third thing is, this is, this is an unusual prophecy. 
in most of the prophetic literature, we, we see that the prophet has received an oracle from God. He's received a word from God. And he turns around and he speaks to the people, thus says the Lord. And it is usually some, some combination of, of, of complaint that the Lord has against his people and also an offering of, of redemption and for them to live in a more upright way. Typical pattern for, for what the books of prophecy will contain. But this one is more like the book of Job. Habakkuk brings a complaint against God. And yet, marvelously, as God answered Job, the Lord doesn't scold him, but he answers him. He helps him in the midst of his distress. And the change that that takes place in Habakkuk is stunning. And we pray that same change for ourselves as well. We see Habakkuk grow in faith as he shows the just shall live gloriously by faith. Well, the theme for this morning then is we live by faith uh, in God's promises when the world is falling apart. We live by faith in God's promises uh, when the world is falling apart. Habakkuk's question, and really verses, uh, verses 2 through 4, is, is Habakkuk's questioning God, and then verses 5 through 11 is God's answer. So we begin then with Habakkuk's question, and it really can be summarized in this way, why is God idle? Why isn't God doing something about the ruin that we see all around us? And he begins really with a lament. How long must we put up with violence? And we remember the words from Psalm 13 very much in keeping with this first part of Habakkuk. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? It is a prayer of sorrow. It is a prayer of grief. There is confusion. He feels abandoned by God. His prayers have have simply bounced off the ceiling. And they haven't gotten to the heart of God, and God has not been moved to do anything about it. So he grieves. Verses 3 and 4 refer to that, describing that destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes perverted. There is senseless violence. There is bribery. Workers are, tr- are cheated from their wages. Why is this going on? The beautiful law that you have given us has no effect. It, it, is, it appears to be lifeless and inert. Why? And how, o lo- how long, O Lord? Interestingly, it wasn't always like this. When Habakkuk was growing up, uh, there was a king in, in, uh, in Judah called Josiah. Do you remember him? The one who was coronated at age eight and, and through his ministry as a very young man, there was a revival in Judah. And about uh, many years after this, this, uh, this renovation began, the law was discovered in the, in the temple. And there was a great revival or the appearance of revival going on. And yet, tragically, even though there was changed behavior 
in Jerusalem. It, it was more like a religious pantomime, and it didn't reach the heart. But Habakkuk had that memory. And then the world was changing right here in this moment in Habakkuk's life. The winds of change were about. I'm going to, I'm going to give you three dates. Um, 612, um, 609, and 605. And, and there is so much change that is compressed into these few years. First of all, Babylon in 612, Babylon destroy, destroyed Nineveh, the, the capital city of Assyria or Neo-Assyria. Neo and so the power was shifting away from Neo-Assyria to the Babylonians. That was in, in 612. In 609, Josiah got himself involved in a silly dispute, never should have happened, with the king in Egypt. And he was killed in battle, 609. And the revival immediately ran out of gas. As soon as he gasped his last breath, things returned way too quickly to normal. And then in 605, there was a battle called the Battle at Carchemish. And, and there it was that Nebuchadnezzar, who was a brilliant tactician in, in, as a general, uh, absolutely crushed the remaining armies of Assyria as well as, uh, as, well as Pharaoh Necho. And so, and so uh, the world was just changing with lightning speed. And that, too, could very well be something that disturbed Habakkuk himself. The rate of change, the whole world changed in 20 years. Assyria, once the power was gone in 60 seconds, and there's, there's the Babylonians. So he's confused. He's perplexed. And now he directs it to the Lord. He charges God. Listen to this language. Why do you... Um, look idly on all that's wrong. Society's crumbling around him, um, and he's thinking in his head, how bad do things have to get before God actually does something? And then listen to this question, why do you make me see iniquity? Do you hear what's implied in that? I've got more of a zeal for righteousness than you do. You should be more like me. I see what's going on. I'm more concerned about justice than you are, God. I feel for sufferers, you don't. Why do you make me see iniquity? Now, we might ask the question, what is God up to today? What is God up to today? It is, there is no question that the church is losing um, her influence in the world uh, there is no doubt that the church may have been at one time the conscience of this nation, but certainly is not now. The rate of change for us has been breathtaking as well. That You may recall uh, back in, in 1996, there was the Defense of Marriage Act that was passed. And one of the things that this Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA, did was that it, uh, it, it made... Um, it made it a matter of law that, that, that men should marry women and women should marry men, which was already becoming controversial at that time. Even though this is a practice that has been going on since the very beginning of time. So that was in 1996. In 2013, 17 years later, 
uh, in the case, the Supreme Court case, the U.S. versus Windsor, struck down by a five to four vote on the Supreme Court the central uh, features of the Defense of Marriage Act, opening the door, permitting legally permissible for for, uh, same-sex marriage. But what strikes me, one of the things that strikes me about this is, is what made sense, what made sense for, for Bill Clinton, who signed the bill in, in 96, what made sense for, for, for him, our president at that point, just 17 years later, is interpreted by the Supreme Court as aggressive and oppressive behavior in just 17 years. Remarkable. What is God up to today? One thing it's important for us to get into our minds, I think, is does the Bible teach that we can expect the church to have such strong influence in the world that she changes the trajectory of the world's beliefs? Does the Bible teach that? Now, there's some dispute about that, depending, I suspect, on your millennial position. But I, I am struck by the words in Second Timothy that, that are describing the world in which we live uh, very, very clearly. Um, and and let, me, let me read just several verses from Second Timothy chapter 3. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Uh, and we are in the last days, just so you know that. Whether, whether we are in the last, last days, I don't know about that, but... Biblically speaking, we are in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We see that all around. But what is God doing in this world, the world in which we live? I think this passage is getting at a couple of things that God is doing. This book of, uh, of, of Habakkuk and certainly the story of, this, of this, the entire scriptures that God is patiently growing his church. He is patiently growing his church. Second Peter chapter 3, do you recall that, that there are scoffers who are looking at the work of God and minimizing it? But, but Peter writes this, a thousand years are like one day and one day like a thousand years. In other words, time, God doesn't see time the way we do. He is outside of time and he is absolutely patient as he unfolds his purposes. And he unfolds his purposes even in a world that is so opposed to him because he is not, First, Second Peter goes on to say, he does, is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So he is patient as he works out his promises. He is patiently growing his church. And the second thing that he is doing is, is he is growing our faith right now. The righteous shall live by faith. We live by faith in God's promises when the world around us is falling apart. We remember that what God says is true. 
and in your bewildering pain and in your disappointments and in your life that is not perhaps just what you would have written several years ago. In your life, I love that, what Paul is saying in Galatians 2, verse 20, the life I live in the body. What that means is the life I I concretely live, the life I experience daily in this body, that's the life that I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I can live by faith, heart uplifted to God in the midst of a world of confusion and violence. Although the oft seems off, or the, although the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. He is growing his church and he is growing your faith. Well, now we come to, uh, we come to God's answer. And, and what he's saying, what he's saying to, um, to Habakkuk, who is complaining about the violence, God says, you're going to see more violence. And I'm directing it, violence coming from the Chaldeans. And you are not going to believe what I'm about to do. You're not going to believe what I'm up to. Verse 5, look, observe, wonder, be astonished at what I'm going to do. God will use the Chaldeans to punish Judah. A few things I want to point out about that. Um, First of all, this is is clearly more than Habakkuk can understand and grasp. What God is doing is so far beyond his ability to sort of understand. As we would say, it is way above his pay grade. And he knows that. Um, how, How is it possible for God to respond to the violence in Judah by sending more violence. That just, he just can't, he doesn't get it at all. Secondly, we want to understand that, um, that the Chaldeans then um, are what we might call instruments in the Redeemer's hand. We've seen that book, haven't we, Ted? Is it, uh, I think it's Paul Tripp who wrote, wrote that book. And, and when we think about being an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, we, th- those are very warm and fuzzy categories, aren't they? Generally, we're, we're thinking about encouraging each other. We're thinking about uh, sh- pointing the way to, to the Lord when you're discouraged. And, and, we, are, we, and, and we bring correction, but gentle as it's needed because we want to, we want to uphold. That, that is a very positive category for us to be encouraging. It's a way we love each other. But God uses instruments that we would simply never choose or even imagine. He raises up this evil nation at just the time He wanted it in order to bring astonishing violence to his people. That's the third thing. Look at the astonishing violence as uh, God, uh, God's, this is God's work, God's work uh, through this brutal assault. Middle of verse 5, remember, it says, for I'm doing a work in your days you wouldn't believe if you were told. But let's look, verses 6 through 11, just very quickly going through. This is, this is a description of, of the greatest military um, force that the world had seen to that point. 
This is, this is the panzer divisions move, moving across Europe in the late 30s and early 40s. This is, this is a, a, a raw and vicious fighting machine. Look with me at verse 6. Uh, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who marched through the breadth of the earth. Ironic, isn't it? Israel was given to march through the breadth of the earth and, and, to, and to establish homes, to take homes that, that they didn't even build, but that was their gift, their inheritance from God. But now the, now the Chaldeans are doing that, seizing buildings they did not own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth uh, from themselves. They are law unto themselves. Verse 8, they are a juggernaut. Uh, th- this is this is the the uh, shock and awe of the of the war against Baghdad. What was that? A hundred hour war. Th- their their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. These are these are the quintessential fighting machines of the day. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their, their horsemen sweep down. They come from afar and they fly. They swoop down like eagles and snatch their prey. They, they all come for violence and their faces forward. They don't look back and regret that they've slashed a pregnant woman. Doesn't occur to them to have compassion for anyone. There is no decent Chaldean soldier. They're all vicious fighting machines. They have no consciences and no hesitation. And once again, a reversal of the Abrahamic covenant. God gave his people to be as many as the sands of the seas. And there the Caldonians are, gathering up the sands of the sea. The people of God. They mock their enemies. They move tons of dirt up to the edge of the city. So they simply walk in with arrogance. Nothing can hold them back. Not only that, they idolize their own strengths. And God uses them. They've exchanged the truth for a lie, but still, this is God's work. Make no mistake about it. It is God's work. He used them. Well, how do we how do we apply this chapter? Um, we could be tempted to draw a straight line from Judah um, to the U.S. in the 21st century. We could be tempted to do that, a- a- and we could think that uh, we see violence around. Yes, we do. We see justice perverted. Of course, we do. We grieve at women who are legally protected to kill the babies that are inside of them, in their wombs, and call it women's rights. We, we think of the mass shootings that uh, are, are identified, they're categorized as, as at least four people being shot, four people outside the shooter have been shot. That's what can, constitutes a mass shooting. 417 times in the year uh, 2019 there were mass shootings. 400, more than one a day. And in the low 30s, mass murders in our country. Racial violence is on the rise and certainly we see the rise of violence against Asian citizens. 
And we're tempted to draw a straight line from, the, from the, the mess that we see in our own country to the mess that there was in Judah and say that God is going to send a vicious and strong nation to overrule and to, and to overrun our country. God will raise up, will God raise up a vicious nation uh, to bring us down? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say because we are not Israel. It might happen. It would be possible. We hope not. We pray it wouldn't happen. But fortunately, uh, the New Testament gives us um, a very clear tool on how to interpret this very passage. We we can, with confidence, know what the Lord wants us to do with this. I'm going to ask you to slip over to... um, to um, uh, Acts chapter 13, and, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll close with this section. Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul actually quotes, um, first, uh, or, or quotes um, Habakkuk 1 verse 5. But let me give you a little bit of the, a little bit of the, the, the background there. Uh, Paul um, is, uh, is in Antioch in Pisidia, uh, and, uh, and, and Paul and Barnabas have come to the, um, the synagogue there in that city, um, and they have been given the privilege of the floor. And Paul goes into one of his familiar stories about the history of Judah, history of Jerusalem, and and uh, and, and God raising up uh, kings after the after the judges. And um, God brought down Saul, and then He raises King David uh, as the, and and uh, David as a as a man after God's own heart, as a is a king uh, that is uh, um, that is. Um, that is pleasing the Lord, and he says, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as, as he promised. And then he goes through and he describes the ministry of Jesus and, and Jesus being, being crucified um, by, um, uh, by the Romans. And, and, then, and, then, and then slip down to verse, to verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which one could not be freed by the law of Moses. That is a bombshell to drop in a synagogue. That all of the self-justifying you would like to do by your own obedience to the law, none of it is effective. You do not get to God through that which is statutory, that which is legal. You need other, uh, outside help. And that's where Jesus comes in. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days a work that you will not believe even if someone tells you. How does Paul understand the book of Habakkuk? He understands it as a, a, a pre-telling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole book is about. Those who are bewildered in his day and in our day that God isn't doing enough about sin. Well, the just shall live by faith. And in whom is your faith? It is Jesus who pardons, who forgives sins. And he is saying to those in that synagogue, as the Lord Jesus is saying to us right now, and to those in our society, 
Are you scoffing at the great deed, the great work that God has done through His Son? We, we think of national fulfillment of such an event like this in Habakkuk. But God is thinking so much grander than that. So much bigger than that. God brings ultimate fulfillment. Listen to this carefully. God brings ultimate fulfillment on Jesus first coming and through Jesus second coming. God's judgment uh, on, by the Babylonians was small compared to the judgment that falls on our Christ at Calvary as he endured the pains of hell for his people. God's judgment in Habakkuk was small compared to this. But brace yourselves for this as well compared to the last day of judgment, what will come through Jesus also makes what happened in Habakkuk seem small. Raising up the Neo-Babylonians to judge Judah was astounding, no doubt about it, amazing thing. Raising up your Savior uh, from the dead for your sins and the sins of the world is even more astonishing. For he gives us, through the offer of the cross, judgment that is mixed with mercy, that just shall live by faith. Are you distressed about your nation? You should be. But what you should not do is wring your hands. What you should do instead is to remember the power of God to give Christ to forgive the sins of his people. Sinners need to be saved by grace from their sins. And that's what Christ has come to do. We look then at what Christ has done and what he will do uh, to motivate us to be those who share the gospel with those around us. I I wasn't planning to say this, but it just seems appropriate. Um, Last week I went to... um, Person who lived across the street lives across the street from me and invited invited the family to 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 come here for Easter and they came um, and I just went over to visit with them yesterday and found out that the husband has had a, a severe stroke and he's in the hospital and and it just struck me our message people is so current for today it is so current and we need to we need to get a hold of the fact. That judgment is coming for people that we see all the time. Judgment is coming unless they come to the Savior. And we pray for those in our, in our church here as well, kids who have grown up here, who can drift away from the gospel just because it's boring, because they haven't seen Jesus, they haven't seen the, the, the beauty of Christ. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of your people to behold the need that we have and the glory that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we adore you. We, uh, we have um, appropriate fear of you as our Father, who is full of power but also full of mercy. 
and we, we see what you are doing around us. And let us be full junior partners in what you are doing in this church and in our neighborhoods. Lord, we pray that, that you would pour out the Spirit, the Spirit of conviction, and, and the Spirit that opens blind eyes to see the beauty of Christ. And we pray it's in his name. Amen.